See, we're in this series right now called Christmas Lights. And we have been working our way through Scripture, looking at Scripture about light. And today where I want to go is I want to unpack this, and I I want us to talk about light and darkness. And and I wonder if perhaps our perspective is a little skewed, and perhaps we've been taught some things about this epic battle between light and darkness. And I'm just wondering today, by looking at some Scripture, if perhaps we'll get a better perspective on this battle that's been going on. And perhaps it'll give us some encouragement for even the own battles that we're facing in our own life. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to be in John chapter 1. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn to John chapter 1. Uh, who's John that writes this? Well, he's one of the 12 disciples. Um, he got to spend basically three and a half years with Jesus. And uh, he, he, he's known in tradition as the longest living disciple, meaning he lived longer than the other 12, especially Judas, poor Judas. And, um, but he lived the longest. And then he also, like, he decided at some point, just like all the gospel writers, like, I should probably write this down. Like, other people are going to want to know this story. But when he decides to write it down, he doesn't choose to repeat some of the same stories that Matthew, Mark, and Luke told. He chooses to write some of his own stories that he experienced. And perhaps because tradition holds that John was one of the closest disciples to Jesus. And so it's almost as if the story he tells is up close, personal, with Jesus. In fact, 90% of John's gospel is unique to John. It's not repeated in the other gospels. But also this, John was a fisherman by trade, but somehow he became this great writer. Not saying that if you're a fisherman, you can't write. But what I'm saying is like somewhere along the way, he developed this ability to write with great purpose, meaning this, that when he sits down to write his gospel, he chooses his words very selectively. And he also chooses his stories to line them up in such a way that they're pointing to something else. Meaning this, John doesn't write his gospel in chronological order. It's not like, well, Jesus was born, and then we did this, and then we did this, and nope, now three and a half years are over. No, he actually grabs stuff from the end of Jesus' life, and he pulls it to the very beginning. Why would he do that? Because John begins with the end in mind. He's looking at the cross. He's looking at the resurrection. He's looking at the future hope and glory, and he begins with that. And now he begins his gospel. And so today we're going to begin in John chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to do a little Bible study on this. We'll pull out some words, talk about it, and then I've got four thoughts for you to write down. John 1, 1, it says this, In the beginning the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Let's pause there. In the beginning. Every Jewish reader back then, their ears would have tuned in immediately. In the beginning. Wait, I've heard that before. In fact, some of us have heard that before. We began this series on December 1st by reading a very verse that began with, in the beginning. Where is that? Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and deep darkness covered the surface of the earth. Deep darkness. Wait a second. That kind of fits our theme, doesn't it? Deep darkness. And John, in this moment, he goes, in the beginning. The Jewish listener would have immediately gone, oh, this is an origin story. Oh, this is a story that's been going since the beginning of time. This isn't like something brand new that just showed up. No, this is from the beginning. Then notice here, it says the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. Notice the word word is mentioned three times in one verse, and it all has a capital W. 
Okay, I, I did some research on this. Let me, let, me, let me show off my Bible education here, my college education, and uh, impress you with it. The word word here in the Greek means logos. Actually, I Googled that. Um, so, so it's this, and so I, I looked up the definition, and here's what Wikipedia uses to describe this word logos in Greek. It says, a term in Western philosophy, psychology, rhetoric, and religion derived from the Greek word variously meaning ground, plea, opinion, expectation, word, speech, account, reason, proportion, and discourse. It became a technical term in Western philosophy beginning with Heraclitus, a Greek philosopher, 535 B.C., 475 B.C., who used the term for a principle of order and knowledge. Cleared it all up? Okay, let's move on. Good. Okay, here's what's happening. John basically with his right hand reaches back and grabs in the beginning for his Jew- Jewish audience. He captures them. And then with his left hand, he reaches back and he grabs this term word and he pulls it forward for his Greek audience. And what he's doing in that moment, he's going, okay, yeah, this is an origin story. This is a story that God's been writing from the beginning of time. He's also saying, yeah, you know how you Greeks, you like order and you like knowledge. And you like how everything has a meaning and a purpose. And he pulls them together and he's basically saying this, this is a story for everyone. This isn't just for one group of people, this is for everyone. And it's the same story that God's been writing from the very beginning of time. Verse 2, he says this, he says, He existed in the beginning with God. Okay, some of you already put two and two together. You're like, capital W for word, logos, word of God. Who is that? Jesus. Okay, we're going to get to that in a minute. Jesus. But notice it says, He existed in the beginning with God. Sometimes we can like go, okay, it's Christmas time. Okay, so that, that's when Jesus, like, came to be. Like, that's the beginning of Jesus. No, no, no. John's telling us, no, Jesus has always been. What Christmas is, is when Jesus began to, he came into the world. Like, that's the difference. Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Verse 3, God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. Who? Jesus. Jesus is there for creation, and, and all the way through, and everything on earth is created through him. All good and perfect gifts comes from our Father in heaven, Jesus being one of those gifts. Verse 4 says, The Word gave life to everything he created, and his life brought light to everyone. Jesus gave life to everything. Like, think about that. He is the source of life. Like, how did this world get started? Jesus was a part of it. And then think about this. He gave his life so that we might have eternal life. He gave his life so that this life we have can go on forever. But it's going to be a new glorious life that's going to come. And his life brought light to everyone. His life, death on the cross, burial, resurrection on the third day. His life brought light to everyone. Who is the light of Christ for? What does it say? Everyone. Uh, who, who's God for? Like, who's God for? Maybe a better question would be this, and maybe we ask it this way. Who's God against? Like, who's God not for? Do you have a list? Like, I, I tend to think sometimes in the church we create lists, like, of who this church is for and who this church is against and this group of people and that group of people, and we tend to create these lists. Okay, listen, listen, listen. I don't think it's our job in the church to make lists. Leave that to Santa. Okay? no. It's actually our job to make sure the light is shining as bright as possible and as attractive as possible so anyone that walks in on this light can realize it's for them. It's for them. 
this light is for everyone. Okay, now my favorite verse in this whole part, verse 5. It says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. The light shines in the darkness. This, this is a big deal. Back to our original question. Do you ever feel like the darkness is winning? Guess what? It can't. It won't. It's not possible. John is saying that there's a light that's shining in the darkness, and that darkness will never have the power to put out that light. But sometimes in our lives, we can go like, oh, I'm not so sure. Sure feels like darkness is winning right now. That just means God's not done yet. That just means perhaps we haven't allowed the light to shine as it should in that area of our lights. And, and, and think about this. I mean, go back to origin story. The earth is formless and empty and deep darkness covers, serves the earth. And God said, let there be light. And there was. It wasn't like God had to work really hard, struggle. I sure hope I can make light happen. No, he simply spoke and it was. That was it. That's how powerful light is. So here's our light bulb moment for today is this. Light is always advancing into the darkness. God's solution to the darkness in this world is his light coming into this world, changing everything. The darkness you face in your world, the darkness you face in your life, that very thing, God's solution is for us to let his light shine brightly. Because the darkness isn't going to win. It doesn't have a chance. Not a chance. So how does light push back darkness? That's a question I want to answer. Four thoughts. Number one is this. Light exposes lies. Light exposes lies. And I, I just want to I, I expose one of the lies that perhaps we've accepted. Um, some of the influence comes from Greek philosophy, this idea of dualism. Um, some of it might come from Eastern thought of this yin and yang and it's simply this and it, it shows up in most of our movies and it's that light and darkness are in balance with one another i don't think that's true and we could probably have a conversation about it i actually think darkness is about down here and lights up here like they're they're not even in comparison in fact science would say this that darkness isn't even a thing. Like, darkness doesn't exist. It's simply the absence of light. That's what creates darkness, that it's nothing, and yet light is so powerful. I mean, think about it. Like, a room can be completely pitch black, and you light one candle, and darkness is gone. That's how powerful the light is. Speaking of power of light, I, I don't know if you've noticed sometimes, but, but I mentioned this last week, that, that sometimes you, you can get used to the dark, and then, then when the lights come on, it kind of hurts your eyes. Like if someone's sleeping, and then you just turn on the lights. It's like, wow, what was that? Someone last week left after I said that, and they sent me a scientific document about why this happened. So I thought I would share it with you because I feel like we should be smart people. And so I'll share it with you. Okay, basically in your eyes, there's two types of cells. There's rods and cones. That doesn't sound very scientific to me. I think ice cream, and I'm thinking, okay, whatever. But anyhow, so rods and cones. Rods are the ones that allow us to see in the dark. Uh, they, they tend to be that moment when, like, your, your, your pupils are dilated in the dark to let the most amount of light in, and those are your rods working. The rod cells are activated, and basically rod cells can only see black and white, and uh, they can't see detail very well. And so that's why when it's dark, you're like, I kind of can make out something. No, that was, yep, just stubbed my toe. That wasn't what I thought it was, okay? So that's what's happening there. Now, 
When someone flips on the lights, here's what happens. Is your rods are shutting down and your cone cells are being activated. Now your cone cells are the ones that allow you to see color, allow you to see detail. And so the brighter the light, the more color and detail you see. But it's this process of the rod shutting down and the cones opening up, which the cones happen to be located in the very back of your eyes. That's why sometimes it hurts like way back in there. That's what's happening there. But listen. It's often more comfortable to stay in the dark than it is to turn on the light. Like, they even make alarm clocks that, like, slowly send soothing, warming light that slowly wakes you up now. Why? Because it's painful for us to immediately walk in the light. But I just wonder, could we actually use some light shining in the lies we've believed in order that we may experience the freedom that's found in the light? So I don't know, what, what, what lies do we believe? What lies do you believe? It perhaps could be if they really knew who I was, they wouldn't accept me anymore. It could be the lie of, yeah, I'm the only one that struggles with this. It could be the lie that my value is based on what do I achieve, or my value is simply the failures I've had in my life. I don't know what the lies are you believe, but I know this. We believe the lies long enough, we get used to them long enough, they begin to dictate how we live our lives. The lies we believe even about God, as we look at God in heaven, sometimes the lies we've told ourselves now get translated onto Him and it skews our view of who God is. When we talk about light shining in this world, we may discredit it and say, yeah, for some people, but not me. Why? Because it's lies we believe. I wonder what it would be like for us to invite the light of Christ to fully take over even those darkest areas of our lives that we don't want anybody to know about or that broken relationship, whatever it might be, that we let light shine. Why? Because there's freedom in the truth. Freedom in the truth. Here's the second thing that happens is this. Light increases hope. It's easy to feel lost in the dark like there's no hope. Uh, talked to someone this morning, just one season after another, one episode after another, the darkness, they can't seem to get free from it. You can start to lose hope. About once a year, we take all the New Life uh, pastors, and we, 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 which we go on a retreat, which to some of you, like, what is that? What do you guys do? Just read the Bible and pray. No, we go to Fort Warden State Park and play Ultimate Frisbee. And we also go to the, the bunkers that are there. Have you ever done that? We wait until nighttime, and then um, they have these hallways in the backside of it that um, it's generous to say hallway because you can barely fit in there. But it is so dark back in there. Like, you can't even see your hand in front of your face when you walk back there. That's how dark it is. And the worst part is, like, it's quiet, too. Like, you, you begin to lose track of who's with you, and then all of a sudden you, like, step in a puddle and something scurries along your feet. And it's just, like, it's creepy. It's kind of scary, too. Um, but what can happen if you stayed in there by yourself is you would begin to feel lost. You'd begin to lose hope. Why? Because you feel all alone. Alone. You can lose hope. Which, by the way, there's a, um, there's a TV show that came out called Alone. And basically, it's, it's one of those reality contests. And basically, what they do is they, they take a person and they put them in the middle of nowhere all by themselves. And whoever can survive alone the longest wins. Some of you are like, that is my dream. Where do I sign up for that? You're introverted. You're like, alone time, that'd be special. Extroverts, you're like, I would die. Okay? Here's what's interesting about the show. The people that give up the quickest are the ones that can't make fire. 
Like, if you can't get a fire started, they're the ones that quit. They're like, I'm out. And it makes sense. One, it's heat. Two, it allows you to cook whatever you've caught. And three, it's light. I tell you, 30, 40, 50 days alone and you can't have light, you're going to begin to lose hope. But here's the thing about light and how it gives us hope. It doesn't take a lot. You only need a little bit, just enough to be able to take one more step. That's all the light we need for hope to start in our lives. In fact, one of the marriage counselors that New Life refers out to, he says this. He says, I only need to give a couple 10% hope and they'll take it the rest of the way. He's like, if I can just give them 10% more hope in their marriage, they will take it the other 90% on their own. That's how powerful hope is. I just wonder if some of us need the light of hope. We don't need a lot. We just need a little bit so we can take another step. Number three is this, light improves vision. Light improves vision. It helps us see clearer. It's those, those cones in our eyes. They need more light to be able to see clearer. Imagine this. You're, you're, you're going in for surgery, and you're all, you know, ready. The doctor's suited up, and then all of a sudden the power goes out. And the doctor says, you know what? I've done this before. I got this. You'd be like, no, 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 no. We're going to wait. We're going to wait for the lights to come back on. Why? Because you want the doctor to be able to see clearest, to see, see what is the problem. Why? So they can stop the bleeding. So they can stop the bleeding. I just wonder, like, for some of us, perhaps we're not seeing that broken relationship clearly. Perhaps we're not seeing that struggle we have in our life clearly, that really what we need is more light so we can see clear. Number four is this, light cuts through evil. It's like a laser beam. It's that powerful. There's no evil, there's no darkness that can stand against the light. I'm going to let my friend tell you about the power of light. Take a look at this video.
That line, darkness is losing, there's something in there that my soul connects with and says, yes, darkness is losing. All those presents out there, darkness is losing. 104 needs met on Outrageous Christmas, darkness is losing. Freedom February, darkness is losing. Think about it, like the progress that's being made through God working through his people through the church is astounding. Why? Because light wins wherever it is goes. Let me close with just one more, a couple more verses here. Verse 6, it says, God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. John himself was not the light. No, he was there to testify, to be a witness to the light. What does a witness do? They give testimony of what they've seen or heard, right? They give testimony. And, and I wonder sometimes when we, when we think about a testimony, or we think about a witness to the light, we might go like courtroom. Okay, courtroom. What, what, what does a person do in court? If they're called to the stand, they give, they give testimony. They give witness to what they've seen and heard, right? Here's what I think can happen if that's our context sometimes that we're thinking about. We can feel like it's our job to defend the light. It's our job to prove the light. It's our job to convince the world of the light. John the Baptist, John the writer, the fisherman, both of them wouldn't have had that in mind. I mean, John the Baptist lived in the wilderness. He wouldn't go anywhere near a courtroom. I wonder if they thought of something different. They were thinking it's the story of the light you've experienced. Like for context today, as I think this through, what does it look like for us to be a witness to us to give testimony? I literally think it's us. Us becoming a commercial for the light. Like it's the best analogy I can think of in our day and age, the commercial of the light. I mean, think about it. This time of year, there's a few commercials that come on. They move your heart, don't they? You buy that product because of whatever it advertised. It did such a good job telling you the story that you're like, oh, man, I'll take it. Now, aren't there groups of people in our community that do that? Like, they're a group of people, and they just like, like what they talk about, how they share. I mean, I, I was thinking of one that, that, that's out here in our community. I was thinking, like, the people who do CrossFit, like, how do you know if someone does CrossFit? They tell you, right? That's how you know. They tell you. Why? Because they're always advertising. By the way, I did it a few years back. Thanks for noticing. But, um, I mean, seriously, like, they're always talking about, they're always sharing about, like, they're always talking about their wah, their workout of the day, they're always talking about their CrossFit games, and all these things, they're always telling, so much so that some of us were like, okay, I'll give it a try, and then we hurt ourselves, we got injured, and we're out, but they were so convincing, why? Because they loved it, they love it, listen, shouldn't we, the church, be the best advertisement, the biggest commercial, especially this time of year, that light wins wherever it goes. And how do we tell that commercial? We share the story of our own life. We share the story of our own family. We share the story of what we're seeing the light transform in our lives. That becomes the commercial. And that's why we're a part of New Life, our family, is we love hearing the stories of what the light is doing in people's lives in this community. In fact, next Sunday, 22nd, people are taking a step to be baptized in water. We're going to put the tank actually right, right in the gathering space, right over there. And people are taking that step, and you're going to hear their stories next week of how the light is transforming them. And I think something's going to stir in you as you hear that story. You're going to be like, yeah, that's the team I'm on. Team light, we're winning. Darkness can't stand. It'll never extinguish it. 
Even those moments when I begin to wander, no, there's light. There's light. Perhaps you've never been baptized, and this would be your, your Sunday to go all in and invite the light of Jesus into your life. And you identify with this death going by going on the water and raised out of the water to live a new life. Mark that box on your car if you want to take part in that. What does it look like this week for us to be light? Would you stand with me for prayer? I just wonder if maybe there's, as I've been talking, and maybe there's an area of our own lives that where we've been kind of gotten used to the darkness, or maybe we've allowed the darkness to kind of win at times. Maybe this is the moment we go to Jesus and we say, Jesus, I'm going to ask your light to go there. Maybe painful at first, but I know there's going to be healing. There's going to be healing because of who you are. Maybe today you've, you've never said yes to Jesus. You've never invited his light to shine in your life, to, for Jesus to be the leader of your life. This can be your moment as we go to prayer. If you say, I want in on that light. I want to follow Jesus. I want to ask him to forgive you of all my sin. I want to ask his light to lead my life. We're going to say a prayer. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you today that you are the light who came into this world, and your light is for everyone, and that includes all of us in this room. No matter how dark our past is, your light is more than able to lead to new life. Jesus, we ask for that today, God. We confess our sins. We confess the darkness in our hearts. We confess our great need for you and your forgiveness and grace. And Jesus, we want to ask, would your light shine in our hearts? God, would you expose the lies, the darkness we've gotten used to? And God, instead, would we love the light more than the dark? Jesus, I pray that, that in this season, that God, we would be...